Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today is a spoiler warning. I just saw the movie Oppenheimer. I'm not going to spoil the entire movie, but I will be talking about a suicide that takes place in the movie. So if you have not seen the movie Oppenheimer, this is your opportunity to opt out of this episode and come back to it another day after you've seen it. But if you don't mind hearing about the suicide, which is a part of the story, but not a major part of the story. Um, and if you've read the book, then, and you know a story, then you already know about <clears throat> the suicide that took place. So consider yourself Forewarned. I hope by now you've been able to switch off the episode or go to another episode. So let's get into it. I saw the movie Oppenheimer, and like I said, there was a suicide that took place. Uh, Jean Tatlock was her name. Is that her name? Tat? Oh, yeah, Tatlock. Uh, she ends her life, and it's not a, a gruesome depiction. But I felt an urge to talk about it because anytime I see a suicide in media, movies, TV, I read about it in a book, and it's based on a true story, I immediately want to investigate. I want to understand the, the background, the backstory, the, bio, the biology, the experiences, I, I want to know all the things, the environment, the beliefs, the, the emotions, everything that led up to that moment. Because a lot of times when we see a suicide in media, it, a, it's so reductionistic, so simplistic. You know, in the case of Oppenheimer, you know, he decides that he no longer wants to be with this woman, and she says, I need you. And then he's like, well, you know, I'm, I got a wife and a kid now. And then in the next scene, she ends her life. And I was like, it can't be that simple. And when I did a little research, it wasn't that simple. So backstory on uh, Oppenheimer, if you haven't seen it or if you have seen it, just to refresh your memory, uh, Gene and Oppenheimer had this intense love affair. Um, at, at some point, um, Oppenheimer met someone else and then married her, married the lady, and then broke off his relationship, his affair with Gene. And then, of course, uh, you know, because the relationship was so intense with Gene, he went, he went back to her, but just as a a hookup not to leave his wife. And Gene took that as a sign of, you know, we're back together. We're, let's keep this going. And at that point, Oppenheimer was like, um, I can't keep doing this. This is too much. I have, I'm working on too much. I don't have the time or the energy. And, and she was like, but you said that you, you would always pick up if I called. And it was, it was heartbreaking. And so she ends her life. And a little backstory on Jean, because in a movie we don't really learn too much about her, but she was highly educated 
She spent time with a community of Jungian psychoanalysts in Switzerland, even before she enrolled at Vassar to study English. So, I mean, she's educated. She she's studying psychology. She went to Vassar, which is a one you know a top uh, preeminent school. She was voted the most promising girl to uh, that people knew. Uh, by the time she met Oppenheimer, she was enrolled at Stanford Medical School. So she's very intelligent. Uh, she even was also a dues-paying member of the Communist Party. So she was a fighter. You know, she had this. She had a spirit to her. She was a writer for the Western Worker newspaper. Um, but, you know, their relationship was intense and mercurial. Uh, sometimes, you know, she'd be going through these intense bouts of, of highs and lows and, um, you know, m- making some uh, outrageous demands. And then in her letter, um, you know, that they found in, after she had ended her life, she wrote, I think I would have been a liability all my life. At least I could take away the burden of a paralyzed soul from a fighting world. And this is the part I want to hone in on. I want to read that again. I think I would have been a liability all of my life. At least I could take away the burden of a paralyzed soul from a fighting world. So in that phrase we hear that she feels like a liability or you know uh, some of us would say a burden and she said she's felt that all her life so even before Oppenheimer came into the picture even before he was like ah I you know I can't see you anymore she was already feeling like a liability and this is someone who is enrolled at Stanford Medical School who went to Vassar who studied with great psychoanalysts and she still feels like a, a liability, right? And she even goes on to say, at least I could take away the burden of a paralyzed soul from a fighting world. So that denotes to me that she feels like a burden, one, like she's draining resources. And then two, that when she says paralyzed soul, like she's she's just standing there while everyone around her is fighting. So she feels useless, even though she's a part of the Communist Party, right? And she's a dues-paying member, and she's in medical school, which could, which you know, would put her in a, a position to literally save lives. You know, I mean, if if she is recognizing herself to be in a fighting world, being a doctor w- would definitely be needed. You know, it's, it's, people are fighting. There's going to be, <laughs> you know, blood and people needing um, anesthesia and, and surgeries and, um, you know, they're going to need her help to, to, to bring them back to life. Um, and so to have that narrow perspective where she couldn't see the bigger picture of her role of being a doctor in a fighting world, a fighting world needs doctors. They need medical professionals and her with her Stanford mind and degree um, couldn't widen that that telescope enough to see how she was indeed contributing, how she indeed was enough. 
And I bring it up because I think a, a lot of us may feel like a liability, right? And and so to, to clear up what that even means, it's almost like we feel like a burden or a hindrance or, uh, you know, we're some source of inconvenience to others or to a particular situation. It's a deep-seated belief that one's presence or actions have negative consequences for those around us, making us feel inadequate or worthless or undeserving of support and care. So that would also make sense as to why, you know, Gene was with Oppenheimer, even though he was married and had a child and was needed by the, the country, she felt undeserving of support and care. So she, in, in a sense, she was settling. She, you know, instead of finding a guy that was single and available and that would want to marry her and have children with her, she was like, I'll, I'll take this guy right here who was unavailable uh, and who will come around on occasion. Um, and so when, when even that, you know, when you settle for something, even the thing you settle for uh, is removed out of your life, that can be jarring and uh, and hurtful. And so some of, let's get a little deeper into some of the characteristics of feeling like a liability because sometimes we don't explore this. Because on the flip side, we're going to get into the opposite of feeling like a liability and what that looks like. All right, so hang out. So hang in there with me for a bit as we, we dig deep into this so that we can better recognize these characteristics of feeling like a liability. And one of them is self-doubt, right? It's that constant doubt about our abilities, our decisions, our judgments, and that really leads to, to a lack of self-confidence. And so when we talk about self-confidence, we can build that by making tiny decisions that can build momentum. Even if you decide to go see a movie or call a friend or rearrange your furniture or, or put gas in your car, it doesn't have to be major decisions. And I, I think part of, you know, Jean um, joining the Communist Party is that she felt like she had to do something big and magnanimous, like Oppenheimer was building a bomb that could destroy the world. And, you know, when you're around someone like that, you feel like you have to do something on the same scale, right? Another characteristic of uh, feeling like a liability is that we have tend to have a negative self-perception. We see ourselves as you know flawed or unworthy of love and support. And what we fail to do is recognize those moments where we are have received love, when we have received support, when people have said, you know, man, great job, or a little pat on the back, or you get that little applause. It's What happens is if we don't feel like we're getting it from who we want to get it from, then it doesn't count. And that's what really happens. It's like if you, if you want that, that, that love and support from your mama or your papa and you're not receiving it, then if even if the world gives it to you, you're like, nope, I'm inadequate. I'm, I'm flawed. I'm not, I'm not worthy of love, right? So we, we need to expand that our range of acceptance of love, whether it's from strangers, a dog, 
the sun, like all these, you know, the, the, the delivery person, whoever gives us love, take that love. It's almost like, think about it like this. $5 from your father or from your mother is the same as $5 from a stranger. It, it, it's, you can spend it the same. It has the same value. Love is just like the $5. It doesn't matter who gives you the $5. It has the same value. Another characteristic of liability, of feeling like a liability, is that fear of rejection, right? Like we feel like others might abandon or distance themselves because of our perceived shortcomings. And I definitely struggle with this. I, I, I feel like, you know, if I say the wrong thing or, or make the wrong motion, um, you know, my listeners will stop listening to me. Uh, my girlfriend will leave me. My family will stop calling. I'll be ostracized from the community. Like that is definitely um, that fear of rejection is real. But it's also part of the human experience. It's part of being human, of feeling that fear of rejection. It's when we let that fear of rejection rule over us, right? When we let that become the main narrative instead of a part of who we are, a part of the story, or we let it just, it's almost like a teacher in a classroom. Like the teacher runs the classroom. Um, and and it, of course the kids occasionally going to act up and, you know, get one in on a teacher. I mean, I, I remember I went to a Catholic school and, you know, we were passing notes. And one time I put sugar um, uh, in the, um, in the, or I put salt in a sugar container in the teacher's lounge. So then when they poured what they thought was sugar into their coffee, they were po- actually pouring a bunch of salt. And <laughs> it couldn't have timed out better where I remember Mrs. Cone was standing there talking to Miss Chester, and, and Mrs. Cone had just poured her coffee and poured all of this, quote-unquote, sugar into her coffee. And when she took that first sip, she spit it all out into the face of Miss Chester. And the, it, I mean, the highlight of my life. <laughs> it hurt, it was bittersweet because we all loved Miss Chester and we all did not like Miss Cone, but I'll take it, I'll take it. I, and I don't even, it was like the last week of school, like the last day of school, we were eighth graders, so what are you gonna do? The grades were already in, I'm out, peace. Um, and then also another characteristic of feeling like a liability is avoidance, right? Where we try to withdraw from social interactions or situations to prevent causing trouble or being a burden. So you get those invites from your friends and they're like, Hey, come out, let's go hang out on this on a Friday or Saturday. Or you want to go to the movies? Let's go grab a drink. Um, Hey, I got a wedding coming up. And we're like, no. No, no, maybe, no, no, maybe, maybe, no. And then we say yes, and then we go back and be like, no. (laughs) So we're avoiding, you know, dates. We're avoiding, you know, going out. We're avoiding going to the beach. And even myself, it's like, I, you know, I'm down to 200 pounds, and I still feel like a 300-pound, like, fat kid. Like, that's just how I feel. Like, I I think I'm always going to feel... Like I'm 10,000 pounds. I either, no, that's not true. I either feel like I'm 
I'm a god or a worm. Like I just oscillate between the two, and I'm very much working. And depending on how I feel, depends on if I avoid the interactions, the social interactions or not. Um, but I try to just show up anyway and just recognize that how I feel can change with the environment. You know, um, how I feel in my house alone, you know, for hours is different than when you get out and you start meeting people and shaking hands and hear the music and, uh, you know, engage in conversations. All of a sudden your ego can start to melt away and then you just become present in the moment and you realize, you know, how you look and, and what you think about yourself, all that, um, can, you know, takes a back seat when you really start to focus on, what the other people are saying and what they're going through and really listening and responding versus, you know, being cautious and thinking about what they're going to think about what you said or did. So let's hop into, um, uh, you know, what the opposite of feeling like a liability is, right? Which is feeling empowered, capable, valuable, this state of mind is often characterized by a positive self-perception and a sense of self-worth. When we feel empowered, we believe in our abilities and contributions, viewing them as, as an asset rather than a burden to others or a situation, right? So some of the characteristics of feeling empowered are like self-confidence, that's where we trust in our skills and our knowledge and our decisions. And now that doesn't mean that we trust in the outcome. That just means we trust in the skills that we have and what we've learned and the decisions that we've made up to this point. That we've done our best. We've done the work. We've prepared. We've planned. And now we're just showing up to see how it turns out. Even in the movie Oppenheimer, um, you know, as smart as all these guys are who are building this bomb, they really don't know until they press the button what the outcome is going to be. I mean, so confidence isn't this, I, I know what the outcome is going to be. Confidence is in, I know that I've done the work to ensure the best outcome. That's what confidence is, right? Um, and, and so then we also look at positive self-image. We start to see ourselves as competent, valuable, and deserving of love and respect. You know, a lot of times we grow up in these households where we don't feel like we got the love and respect that we wanted and needed. So then we feel like, oh, we don't deserve love and respect. Instead of being, instead of really seeing it for what it was, was, you know, the, the person who was raising us or who wasn't loving us or respecting us, you know, that there was, uh, uh, you know, they had their own challenges. They had their own things that they were dealing with and they were projecting that onto us, right? And so we can decide and, and seek and create love and respect for ourselves and treat ourselves with love and respect. You know, I talk about grooming in one of the past episodes, and, and that's definitely a way of loving and respecting, even just drinking water, getting a good night's sleep. Like, love and respect, it, it's, it's, you know, 
is not a helicopter ride over to Grand Canyon with flowers or, uh, you know, uh, buying somebody a car. And it's, it's in those little things and really in, in taking care of yourself. Um, another characteristic of feeling empowered is being assertive, assertiveness, right? Being able to express your needs and opinions without fear of judgment. And of course, there's going to be some fear and judgment. But if if when people say they need space in a relationship, what they're really saying is that they need a space to express themselves, all of who they are, or the parts of themselves that they feel like they've suppressed or that have atrophied in the relationship. So being assertive is in saying, here's what I need. And here's my opinion about what is happening. And so, you know, as I'm, I'm clicking through these uh, different characteristics of feeling empowered, recognize, you know, do, are you feeling this in your stomach? Like what part of your body is, is lighting up and what part of your body is uh, tightening up, right? Um, because another characteristic is independence, where, where you feel capable of handling challenges and making decisions without that constant reassurance or validation from others, right? It, it's, it's almost like we make a decision, we go, is this okay? Is that okay? Are you fine? You sure? Just make the decision and and run with it. And that, that now, obviously, there's some things we have to collaborate on, right? And there's some things that we, we, sh- that we feel like we need to um, get a consensus on, and that's fine. But recognize those areas where you're seeking validation, where you actually really didn't need it, right? You you were seeking validation because, um, you know, maybe you you weren't trying to stir the pot up too much, but you could have made that decision on your own. Uh, So it's really about um, the practice of validating yourself and making decisions without constant reassurance. Now, of course, like all of us, we all, you know, check in with other people to say, hey, what do you think about this decision? I had a friend today ask me about um, an investment he was about to make, a a massive investment. And so we talked about that. And, you know, um, the the numbers he was talking, I I definitely would want to consult with a few people before I make, uh, you know, a decision of that magnitude. So I understood that. Um, which you know brings us to the next uh, characteristic of feeling empowered, which is taking initiative, right? Proactively taking action to achieve goals and make positive changes in one's life. You know, I find in myself that I f- spend a lot of time waiting for things to happen, waiting to be accepted, waiting to be invited, waiting to be called waiting to be, um, uh, you know, embraced instead of, you know, taking initiative, saying, hey, here's what I need, here's what I want, just showing up, just taking action, just moving, taking a, a bite-sized step towards my goals and, and, and making those positive changes in my life. Now, obviously, that's not in every area, but I do recognize areas where I'm kind of sitting back a little bit. I'm, I'm kind of waiting, hoping, wishing, instead of moving, acting, 
grabbing, creating, collaborating. You know, I want to be in the ings. I want to be in those, those, those positive, progressive ings, progressing instead of waiting and hoping and wishing. And, um, and then the last one, and when we talk about the characteristics of feeling empowered is uh, setting healthy boundaries. You know, knowing when to ask for help and support without feeling guilty or overly dependent. And I think in the, in the case of Jean Tatlock, um, you know, that, that, that when she said, the burden of a paralyzed soul, wow, her soul felt paralyzed from a fighting world. So, you know, if I'm paralyzed, I need help. I need assistance. And you can't ask for it when you're paralyzed. I, I, I was paralyzed twice from a neck injury playing football. Um, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't talk. I, I was just laying there and I remember like a tear rolling down the side of my face. And finally I came to, and obviously like I'm up and, and moving around now, but um, she, she was paralyzed. And so she needed help. She needed support. And, and maybe she just didn't know the kind of help and support she needed. Right? I mean, she already feels like a burden. And, and this is why, you know, this is the importance of having a coach or a counselor or a therapist or, or just, you know, asking a trusted human being or working in a group with other people, you know, getting on a Reddit chat, something. But we spend so much time trying to do it all ourselves and that really chips away at our resilience. You know, these setbacks and failures we experience in our lives are, 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 can, be, can be opportunities for growth and also opportunities for connection. And when I say connection, I mean like, hey, you know what? I tried to do this thing and I struggled and I had a failure. Do you know, could you help me move forward on this? I mean, that's all Oppenheimer is, is Oppenheimer saying, all right, we got to do this thing. And Oppenheimer recognizing that he's not, he doesn't have the brain power to put this all together, so he has to assemble a team. The United States of America had to assemble a team. Like the president, yes, launches the bomb, but the president's not smart enough to build that bomb. He had to use the military. Then the military had to go find the scientists, and the scientists had to go find. So everybody's building a team. Everybody's asking for help and support. So if you need help and support, call that 988 number or call any of the other numbers that are listed in all of the show notes. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you calling to get help. If you found value in this episode, any value, share it with one other person. And then that way you two can have a conversation about it to help you build a connection and then we can build a community. Let's get to tomorrow together.